0: Welcome back to the Movie Battle Podcast. This week, you've got myself, Nick, and Brennan, as we're talking about a pretty busy weekend um, just in terms of new releases. Uh, Theaters and streaming services had a pretty thick content for Christmas Day. Um, So we had Soul, which has been pushed back several times. Wonder Woman 1984, which has also been pushed back several times. Uh, Wonder Woman debuted on HBO Max and in theaters. Soul was just on Disney Plus with no paywall. Uh, which was a nice change from uh, Mulan a few months ago. And then The Midnight Sky opened up, as well as We Can Be Heroes. Those were both on Netflix. And then News of the World um, had a bit of a hybrid release. um, That is a new Tom Hanks movie. So it was a pretty busy weekend. Um, Netflix is just probably making tons of money this week. I mean, not really, because they don't get money per view, but... Um, It's Christmas. All the Christmas movies were kind of back in force. We got our illumination uh, movies still not quite uh, with the hold they used to have before the Christmas season, Uh, but both the Christmas Chronicles, which have been up there, were in the top 10 list as well as some new stuff. So I'm just going to go ahead and run down that list um, to get us started. So at the number one spot, we had The Midnight Sky, which was one of Netflix's new releases. And then we had We Can Be Heroes, which was also one of Netflix's new releases. We had After We Collided at number three. Number four, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Number five, The Christmas Chronicles 2. Number six, The Christmas Chronicles. Number seven, The Crudes, Number eight, A California Christmas. Number nine, Ava. And number ten, Marini's Rainey's Black Bottom. So The Midnight Sky is kind of their big release. Uh, so this is a George Clooney movie. It's got Felicity Jones in it. Um, as well and it is about astronauts um, I'm not overly familiar with this movie other than that the trailer weirdly reminded me of that movie from last year the Aeronauts um, with Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne which is a movie that Nick just absolutely fawned over um, <laughs> well yeah I think this was kind of I, w- I wouldn't go so far as to say like this is Top Gun but it's kind of that like oh we're gonna fly and explore
1: and look at what we can do
0: with cameras in the air uh, kind of thing for
1: netflix yeah this is um hmm. this is i wouldn't say it's that kind of tone it's actually a very sad movie it's really depressing um so yeah this is a movie directed by george clooney he also stars him and it's basically two stories so at the beginning of the movie we're in the year uh, 2049 which um brian connor who wrote the review for this movie on the site Put it made a funny little comment in his review of why the, do so many movies hate the year twenty forty nine? Just, just, there's just always weird stuff happening there with the Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine as well. But um, so there's been some kind of apocalyptic event. The world is basically inhabitable. Um, they spend a lot of time showing how bad the air quality is. Basically, everyone's dead except for George Clooney, who lives up in the Arctic. He's this um, scientist manning one of their satellites, who's trying to contact. Um, separate missions that are off in space doing things and trying to figure out other planets to bring uh, human life to. Um, and he finds this little girl and she's like mute for the entire movie. So you have a George Clooney and this girl just kind of chilling in the Arctic. And then you have um, on the other side of this, you have a crew out in space, which is uh, Felicity Jones and you have um, David O'Yellow in there too. And Kyle Chandler, uh, really good cast in this movie. So, this movie is basically them trying to come back to earth and George Clooney and this child trying to get in contact with them to tell them like, Hey, earth is an inhabitable. So you better turn around. So that's basically the entire thing. And it's really, really depressing. Um, this, it's one of those movies that like tries to be about things. Cause it's like, Oh, look how serious George Clooney is. He has a beard. He's thinking about things, <laughs> you know? Um, But there's really nothing much to this movie. It's just, its pacing is all out of whack. Uh, Very, very boring movie. Doesn't really amount to much in the end. Um, So you're kind of just sitting there scratching your head at it. Um, It's, yeah, this one kind of left me very, very cold. I don't really, other than just like that background information, I really don't have much information about it, honestly. It, it left me with, like, no, um, just, I don't have any comments on it. It's kind of like the Aeronauts last year, which a movie I forgot about until you just mentioned it in the intro there, Colin. Uh, it's kind of one of those. Just It's just there.
2: Um, I heard I heard that this film, while it may not be all that great, I heard that it's visually uh, pleasing, or it, it looks really nice. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it looks good.
1: It's one of those where um, you have a good cast who mm-hmm. are delivering their lines. The movie looks good. So all the pieces are there, but it's just, I think it's a pretty bad script. Um, it's very, very forthright. And like it's messaging, like you'll have lines that are like, basically like the movie in a nutshell. And it's like, wow, you tried to, you just basically explain the entire film to the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, can you just like have a little restraint, please? Um, But I think this kind of speaks to George Clooney as a director. And it's weird because we haven't really seen him in a movie recently. Uh, I think the last movie he was in was um, Money Monster back in 2016. Uh, Other than that, I think he was in that Catch-22 miniseries that came out last year. But this is his first movie in a really long time. Um, But as a director, his resume is super spotty. So he had Confessions of a Dangerous Mind in, in 2002. Then after that, he had Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, Leatherheads, The Eyes of March and The Monuments Men and then Suburbicon uh, and then you have Midnight Sky after this I I don't really know if I love any of those movies. Uh, I don't think I've seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind but I know it's a Charlie Kaufman script that he basically just was like I, I disown this because they changed so much of it right. but um, I don't know I don't think he's a particularly great director I think he has a good visual eye but I don't really get a point of view in anything he tries to tell so I don't know i think this movie this was a buzzy project because big big budget uh george clooney in it and there's a lot of other stars in it and it's a big netflix release for christmas but uh yeah i don't know i I just don't really gain much from this at all there's a good alexandria splat uh score in it which i think may trick some people into thinking this movie is better than it actually is but uh yeah it's kind of if you were hoping to see George Clooney again on screen, I don't really know if this is the one you come back to.
2: This is a $100 million uh, picture as well. So it is, it is as you said, pretty expensive. Um, did, do you know at all if it started with Netflix? Was this Netflix's project all the way through? I
1: have no idea, actually. I think the, actually the most interesting thing about this movie is George Clooney's character's name, which is Augustine Lofthouse, which is just the most <laughs> unbelievable name I think I've heard in so, so long except when you watch the movie, he's just very sad and his character is terminally ill. So he's just kind of waiting to die. Um, So yeah, it's a great, um, just really energetic movie. uh, Just (laughs) with a lot of fun gags and little little jokes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I think this movie it's, I don't even know what this movie is trying to go for. It's just kind of, it's just kind of there. It's, it's very, it's just kind of a bummer. It doesn't really, I don't think it's really saying anything of note and it's just, I guess it's good to look at, but there's just there's just nothing, it just feels like everything is a mixed bag. The script could have been better, the acting probably could have been a little better um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know I don't I don't know if, I think if this is probably better for Netflix to release this now and not have to contend with like Wonder Woman and Soul, which we'll talk about in a little bit, instead of dropping like one of their oz, other buzzy projects here, but uh, yeah, it's The Night Sky, I don't know it seems like a lot of people are watching it, but I don't think it's very good. Augustine Lofthouse sounds like the name of an English heir to a Tollhouse
0: cookie fortune. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's amazing.
0: well <laughs> uh, Yeah, uh, and I think like, so my impression of this movie is pretty much just from the marketing. And yeah, I, what you described to me on this very podcast a few minutes ago sounds nothing like um, any of the advertisements I saw for it. So I think that could also be part of why it's not as buzzy as the other movies we're going to talk about. Um, I think the other movies are buzzier just because they come from buzzier studios, um, and there's a little bit more controversy around one of them in particular. Um, But yeah, that is The Midnight Sky. But the the real whammy uh, for Netflix this week was the long-awaited sequel to Sharkboy and Lava Girl, which <laughs> they just announced, like, maybe two months ago. Um, nobody really knew it had shot. And then I think, like, side of it slipped from, I think it's the actress who played Lava Girl um, from her Instagram or something like that a few months ago. And then all of a sudden, Robert Rodriguez came out and was like, yep, we're doing another one. Um, so this is the sequel to a movie that was a critical and commercial failure when it released but is somehow burned in the mind of everybody who grew up in the early 2000s um the memes from this movie are just far stronger than the movie itself um but yeah the sequel is here which i don't know did you guys ever think we'd get any more of this world or universe or whatever you want to call it
2: no not at all um I, what you, what you said there, I kind of agree with that a hundred percent. Like that original one, it's not good, but it is in my mind. Like I can close my eyes now and, and picture young uh, Taylor Lautner in
1: there. <laughs> have the memes gone too far? Is this the first time <laughs> where meme culture basically put something into existence? I don't know. I feel like this shouldn't have happened, right? Like Shockboy and lava girl is terrible. But it's kind of weird, and its title is Shark Boy and Lava Girl. So, all the meme accounts on Instagram went nuts with it for years. Since uh, this is very, this is one of the more bizarre things that, one of the more bizarre movies I think is that has come out in recent years. To me, I haven't seen it yet, but I kind of just want to because it's just looks so so bizarre. Um, but maybe I regret that within the first five minutes, considering Shark Boy and Lava Girl's co- content itself. Um, but I don't know. This is so weird. Isn't Robert Rodriguez also, didn't he like get this from like his kids' dreams or something? Like, yeah. or his like bedtime stories or something? And then he was like, I'm going to make a movie. And then just, no one liked it.
0: Robert Rodriguez just fascinates me because he either makes like hard R action or he makes films for children. Like, this man <laughs> made the Spy Kids franchise. <laughs> and now he's playing with Baby Yoda for Disney. Plus. And <laughs> then on the other side, he's making Machete, which is also in the same
1: universe as the Spy Kids franchise, which is also
2: and just crazy. <laughs> and he
1: and he um, made the best movie of 2019, elite Battle Angel. That is true. But yeah, of, the, know, of the <laughs> decade,
2: 2019, 2019's uh, kind of putting a, a little bit of a a lid on it. You you should definitely acknowledge best of the decade. <laughs>
0: I feel like if this movie, the original movie, Sharkboy and Lava Girl, had just been Sharkboy and Lava Girl, we wouldn't be getting a sequel. But I don't think you can underestimate George Lopez's ability to become a meme. And I feel like (laughs) his character in that movie, it's the part that's burned into everybody's brains. It's just this giant, like, he's like a little electric ball. He's got little electricity arms, and then it's just this giant fishbowl head that like, I, I don't know when I saw it in, in my childhood. You know, I don't know if I saw it in theaters or on TV, but it's just like burned into my brain. And there are
1: millions out there that are dealing with that too. <laughs> oh my God. I think, yeah, I, th- I think Robert or is so fascinating to me. Cause I don't know if either of you have seen his first feature, uh, El Mariachi, but he made that movie for like $7,000. It was, it's one of the most, like insane micro budget success stories probably ever. I think I, I think I had to do a reading for this in a film course back in college. He basically put himself into like one of those like weird uh testing things at like hospitals where like, they just like gave him experimental drugs for like a month and <laughs> recorded it. Like what happened to him. And then he got enough money to make El Mariachi. Like it was just the most insane story. <laughs> um And now he's, making a sequel to Sharkboy and Girl. What a time. What a time to be alive. Yeah, and this one actually has, like, somewhat
0: semi-solid reviews. I mean, it's pretty on par with Wonder Woman in terms of its uh, Rotten Tomato score, uh, which it has far, far fewer reviews than Wonder Woman, so that's probably part of it, too. Um, but it at least has a little bit more critical traction in that sense. And then the cast is actually, like, pretty solid, too. So you have Pedro Pascal, who has had a pretty big weekend a pretty big month really um on all the streaming surfaces and then Priyanka Chopra is one of the main characters and you've got uh, Boyd Holbrook who was in Logan a few years back and Christian Slater coming out of the woodwork for this movie um so it's got like a solid cast behind it too and uh Soon Kang from Fast and Furious is here
1: um so there's like a team behind this movie as well you also got Shooter McGavin Christopher McDonald too just, I, I don't I don't understand this <laughs> this is so bizarre to me um the fact that it's getting good reviews too um it makes me more intrigued. I don't know I think maybe all of us have watched seen too many memes from this from sharp boy Lava girl it just i I don't know like this is a bizarre thing,
0: yeah, but it's one of those things that like I know I need to see it um you know maybe maybe I need to be a little under the influence to see it, but I need to see it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. This is weird. This is really. I will really make. Weird. I will make a shark boy and lava lava girl cocktail, and then just kick back <laughs> in the recliner and. Yeah. What does that Rodriguez consist of? What over. would you
1: What would you put in that cocktail?
0: Um, I feel like anything with lava girl has to be like fireball or something like that.
1: Then, and then uh, a ton of ice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good. That,
2: that sounds right. Just, just a little bit of fireball sharks, on the rocks. Yeah. Oh, delicious! A little bit of Tabasco or something like a Caesar.
1: <laughs> just throw something really weird in there, just because it's the movie.
2: Uh, <laughs> something insane.
0: Like, what would be the George Lopez element in that? <laughs> oh no,
1: I have no idea. No, you have.
0: I got nothing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I kind of want to check this out. At one point, it's just one of those weekends with you know between like the you know the big holiday going on and just. You know, family wants to spend time, so you can't just watch Sharkboy and Lava Girl all day. Uh, but <laughs> We Can Be Heroes kind of hit the cutting room floor for me, but I do want to get around to it sometime soon. All right. I think uh, to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's move on. So a bunch of Christmas movies, no real surprise there. So How the Grinch Stole Christmas, both The Christmas Chronicles, and A California Christmas were all in the list. And then uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom dropped quite a bit, um, which I feel like that's just due more to the Christmas weekend um, than it is necessarily a drop-off in the movie. Next week, we'll probably clarify that a little bit more, um, but it, it literally went from the, bo- or from the top to the bottom of the list. Um, and I, I would assume it's probably a lot of these Christmas movies. But then Ava
2: has weirdly been at number nine for like three weeks, so I could be wrong. God, that yeah, actually, so I, I finally got to see Marini's Black Bottom. I know it's only been about a week and a half that it's uh, been out for, but I did get to see it yesterday. Um, I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. It's one of my favorite of the year so far. I've missed out on a lot of stuff. Um, I'm still waiting on a few things that haven't quite reached me, but I did enjoy this movie a lot. Um, I, I, I like that sort of uh, era in America. I like the rhythm and blues. Um uh, from the old times and stuff like that, but it was good. And I think for, for Chadwick Boseman's last role, it was definitely great to watch something so powerful. Um, for me, this movie definitely, I mean, I think obviously they are going for this, but it's based off a play and it really did feel like a play. Another movie I watched this year, the father was based on a play, but it didn't really feel like a play, but this one definitely, they do want to make you feel that way. And, uh, they didn't really distance themselves from that kind of play element and I thought it worked for the most part and I think the runtime on it made it work I think if you have a movie like this that maybe goes over two hours but it's it's still trying to seem like a play monologue after monologue it might wear down on you but to be a 90 minute movie and kind of have that um, kind of have that element to it I think it works really well and it did work really well so I enjoyed it uh for sure and it's definitely um I'm just trying to gauge what Netflix is going to go for gold with. And I think there's a chance this could be the movie they go all in with. Cause I think there's been some issues with the other ones uh, that, that might limit them from going all the way. But after watching this, I don't know. I don't know. We can talk about this as we get closer to it, but uh, bottom line is I did uh, in, enjoy this movie.
1: It kind of seems like Chadwick is kind of the front runner for best actor at this point. Right. Um, I watched the movie too uh, after our pod last week and I really liked it as well. I think Chadwick is unbelievable in it. And it's one of those where he'll probably, my guess is he'll probably win an Oscar either for this or to five bloods. he'll probably get nominated both in best actor and best supporting. Um, but I think in both cases, it's one of those where they might be construed. I think this would be inaccurate to do this, but some people might say like, Oh, it's kind of um, rewarding him like, just after he died or something like that. But I think in both cases, both of these performances are incredible. So I, th- I would love to see him win either way. Um, wow. I think he's, he's, he's the best part of this movie to me. And then you have Viola Davis who's just in so much makeup and super sweaty <laughs> and kind of amazing too. I hope she gets nominated, but, uh, yeah, this movie's all about the acting. Col- Coleman Domingo is really good in there too. Um, I think I agree, with both of you guys, I think Colin said this said as much last week. Where it does really feel like a play, and it certainly does. You have all those monologues back and forth. Um, some of them are incredible. There's the one that Chadwick says that, where he talks about what happened to his mother, uh, and it's just unbelievable. But um, yeah, I, I feel like I feel similarly to you guys on this one.
2: Yeah, you know what's funny? I, do you think they'll go for Best Actor? this room or do you think they'll slot him into a support um because i'm kind of conflicted on what they'll do here i don't know if they've said but this this is the type of movie that i think he kind of fall into either or i think this is also we spoke about this recently about something it could have been even this movie but um this or the five bloods they'll definitely go with this just because i think it's a more showy performance for sure and there's a lot more out of chadwick there um but yeah lead or supporting it's 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 very difficult to uh Know what they're going to go with this, because they could angle it as, like, Viola Davis, she is the lead, and everyone else is kind of supporting around her as the film's named after her and such. And she was great, too. Yeah, you're right. She, she's a boss in this movie. <laughs> she was funny. Um, but, yeah, I'm interested to see where they go with Chadwick. But all in all, it, it's, it's definitely... Watching it was sad, too, just knowing that it is his last movie, and it's it, gone too soon, for, for real.
1: Yeah, my guess is that... I think... In- In other years, we've had other times where people have been nominated twice for different performances in a year. Um, But I think because both movies are Netflix movies that I think they will try. I think they'll have a better idea of how to just navigate the awards race this year. And I think what they might do is probably just campaign for both really, really hard Mm because it's no secret that Netflix wants all the awards and they desperately want that best picture win as well. Just to kind of, I don't know if this that would validate them as like a big studio, but I think in the eyes of many and maybe Netflix themselves, that would accomplish that. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's a really good shot that they get they put him in best actor here because it would be one of those, it's kinda like the Brad Pitt thing last year. Like he's not a supporting actor in that movie, but there's also a case where you could say, like, oh, no, it's Leo DiCaprio's movie or something like that. And you could do the same thing here where, oh, no, it's Viola Davis. So maybe they do some, uh, like, category gerrymandering or whatever, something like that, where they just, like, put him in supporting and then he just wins in a landslide. But I don't know. I think there's a case that it's still probably the best performance of the year, especially for the for the Oscar race. Um so I wouldn't be surprised if he did best supporting uh, for the five Bloods
2: and best actor for Maureen. That 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 sounds pretty accurate there. And I mean, even I'm kind of gauging what the categories are going to look like this year because I I really I'm really into that. And I I don't see best actors even being one that's super insanely competitive. So I think that probably is a good route. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it was for sure uh, something special to see him kind of. His last movie be arguably uh, one of his 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 best performances.
1: Yeah, it looks like I'm trying to think of what is in the best actor race this year. It's definitely so. It's Chadwick, and it seems I haven't seen The Father yet. But everyone's it seems like Anthony Hopkins is probably going to get a nomination for that. He's he's, um, he's insanely good. Me yeah, to be, like tears, man. He's good. Jeez. Um, and then maybe hey, the probably. Yeah, maybe Gary Oldman. I have a feeling people are a little cold on Mank. That's kind of what it seems like. I really like Gary, yeah. but it seems like some people are kind of like, eh, it was fine. I don't really know. I don't really have much of an opinion on it. So we'll see there. Um, I'm trying to think of what else there is. Probably Stephen Young for in Minari seems like a big one. It seems like that's going to be a big push, and even he might be a or along with Chadwick like a like a heavy, not a, maybe not a favorite, but like a a, ver- a big time contender there.
2: There's um, certainly talk also of Resonance for Sound of Metal, and lately I've been seeing that pick up steam a little bit uh, with him getting into the Best Actor uh, category.
1: Yeah, that too. I wonder if they would give one to Tom Hanks for News of the World, which is actually was the other movie that came out this week, um, mm-hmm. the Paul Greengrass movie. But you're right. It does kind of feel like this is not a light category, but I feel like last year or even the year before that, it feels like, like the nomination list could go like 10, 12 deep. And this year, we might only get, there's only maybe like eight that you could like, for the, maybe there's definitely better performances than this year. But in terms of the Oscars, who look at a specific kind of movie with a specific kind of studio backing, it seems like there's like five to eight kind of possibilities
2: here. I wonder for Delroy Lindo, who obviously, early in the year, this was the guy that everyone was talking about. Talking about for his performance in *Defy Bloods*, and even me at this point in the year, we're pretty much done the year. There's still a lot of movies to catch up with. That's why they push the awards kind of uh, qualification period back two months. But Delroy Lindo to me is still one of the best performances of the year from *Defy Bloods*. So I think Netflix has to maneuver also where they're going to throw him in uh, when they campaign. So it'll be very, uh, very interesting to see where he lands because I think he's definitely worthy of consideration either in the lead or supporting role. That's another one where I think he could go to supporting because *The Five Bloods* is very much an ensemble piece. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting uh, for sure.
1: There's two others that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, one is for uh, whoever they decide to choose one night Mi- one night in Miami as the lead actor, and then that's will right. also be a ton in Best Supporting for that movie as well. It's very much the same as *Ma Rainey*, where it's um, it's it's a play based on a play, and it's. Um, there's just a lot of themes in common in that movie and i want someone to write like a long super long uh feature about both those movies because they have a lot of things they're discussing um, but there's another one uh judas and the black messiah which is um a mm. movie i think it comes out next february so right at the end of the what's what we're considering the end of oscar season i guess end of february um but that seems to be a big one there um as well that could garner a lot of buzz in both categories um yeah so, and i
2: don't know. know if they're gonna completely dump trial of chicago 7 uh but i know they've already the studio netflix has already came out and said all the actors in that movie are going to the supporting category so they're all out of the best actor uh category if any of them were even going to make it in the first place but they're all thrown to supporting uh for netflix's push for that movie um but yeah i think you're right i think it is a little bit of a, a thinner year than usual
1: yeah, so I'd probably say at this point, it's probably Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, and then you have uh, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Stephen Yeun, and then Chadwick, and then maybe Gary Oldman? That's the fifth, maybe? Who knows? I think that's, that's where I'd lean at this point. Yeah, I'd agree with that
0: list. Uh, but I, I do also think that like the Mank hype has really cooled a lot um, since its release, whereas something like The Five Bloods and it's a little bit early to call on Ma Rainey, but like the hype for those performances, at least at this point has not cooled to the same degree. I think Mink has.
1: Yeah. I think Delroy is that Lindo is definitely going to be supporting. So I think that's where he goes. So I, other than him, I don't know who you would put in best actor, maybe Jonathan majors. I'm not really sure who else they would put there. That's kind of one of those other movies where it's, it's a, Massive ensemble I and mean, a lot of people giving great performances. So they could do, they could go either way. I don't really know, honestly.
0: Yeah. Um, but that is Maharani's Black Bottom. And so we'll move on to kind of the two uh, bigger movies this week. Um, since it is the holiday weekend, we're not going to get too heavy into spoiler territory. Uh, but we do want to talk about them a little bit. So let's go ahead and start with Wonder Woman. Um, so this was originally set to release in June um and then got pushed back um and actually was set for early december for a while and then um, they announced you know what it's just going to drop theaters and hbo max on christmas day uh, which was met with a certain level of controversy um i had planned on seeing it in uh, theaters originally but ended up watching it at home with my family on christmas day um which, I you know, I, I feel like there's a lot you can get into about watching a movie, especially that's on this scale, um, in theater versus at home. Um, it's certainly a lot more distracting at home. Um, but I turned my phone off. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to glue in as much as I can and uh, watch Wonder Woman. And it's just, it feels aggressively average to me. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is bad in any sense of the word you know there's nothing like you know wonder woman and barbara's mothers have different names so there's nothing crazy there um but it's just like it felt (laughs) very bland Um, like this movie really wasn't trying for much outside of um some visuals and i just i'm coming away very lukewarm and
1: unimpressed i thought this movie was delightful um i liked it uh definitely not a perfect movie um there's definitely a lot of things we can talk about there uh, one thing i i don't think kristen Riggs, uh cheetah worked particularly well that's just something that just never quite clicked for me but um i like this movie a lot um kind of to your point i think there is there was a lot to gain if wonder woman 1984 played in theaters because one thing i really like about this movie is Patty Jenkins directs this movie with kind of like that, that not, maybe not that Spielbergian sense of wonder, but it's kind of in that same vein where there's not a ton of action in this movie, but there is a lot of people reacting to cool things that are happening on the screen. And it makes things feel really, really neat. Uh, there's that one scene, especially where um, Chris Pine, who's also just wonderful in this movie uh, and Gal Gadot are flying through the July 4th fireworks. And, I feel like that's a scene that's like like maybe 10 seconds in another movie. But it's a really long scene. And there's the Hans Zimmer score that's blaring in the background. It's like a couple minutes long. And they just get to look at all these fireworks. And they're just so amazed at all of it. And I think stuff like that would have played, I think, a lot better in the theaters. But I still really liked it. I thought it was really sweet and thoughtful. And also just no one dies in this movie, which I thought was really, really interesting. It's a really interesting choice. Um, well, I guess... Not necessarily, because I feel like the the not talked about thing in all the CGI destruction in these superhero movies is there. There would be so many civilian casualties, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that because the movie doesn't reference it. So, uh, according to the movie, no one dies in this movie, uh, and I felt like that was kind of sweet. I don't think this is trying to be a action packed thing, because I don't. There's not really too many action sequences, and the ending is kind of a subversion of your typical massive. Third act. Um, I guess I'll leave I'll leave the details of that uh, for some later date. But um, I've, I think I really like the most this movie. It uses um, – it's really kind of tackling 80s success and that, the greed of that decade to a really smart uh, – I think – well, maybe not smart, but I think it's really effective in the way it uses it. But I'm sure we'll get more into that as we talk about it.
2: Uh, yeah, this is tough for me because I'm deciding – when I'll watch this movie, obviously, I think we spoke about it before. they switched to or they didn't switch to, but they 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 decided HBO Max, which is only in the United States and theaters. And in Canada, obviously don't have HBO max, so theaters was the only option originally. Um and I think with the recent protocols here, the closest theater for me is about a four hour flight. Um, so it's it's not ideal. However, last minute, they cracked a deal and now it's on demand here in Canada. but I don't know if I want to do that Um, because I I like the first movie, but I didn't love it. So I might have to wait for this one for a little bit, but I'm glad you guys have some uh, contrasting opinions there. It makes it, makes it kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. And I, I like that this one feels like a very different movie from the first. So I I love the first one. Um, But Patty Jenkins is really like going for something new here. And this one doesn't really have any of that kind of, disillusion and cynicism um, that the first one has, just with the time period. Um, it, it definitely feels like a much more wondrous movie, um, and just like much more lighthearted, certainly. Um, I just don't know if that really works for me. I don't think it really says anything that hasn't already been said by other superhero movies. Um, so there are a lot of elements of this movie that really remind me of Spider-Man 2, or in reference to uh, Kristen Wiggs' character with Batman Returns, um, I feel like there's a lot of that same feeling there. And so there are a lot of things that feel familiar, but that I've seen be done much better before. And that's just really what didn't stick with me, is it just felt like a very baseline movie thematically. Like it's not really saying anything or hitting anything that that hasn't already been beaten to death by the superhero genre.
1: Hmm, It's interesting. Yeah. I kind of what you were hinting at earlier. I think this, this feels a lot like what I feel like we kind of want from a superhero from a Superman movie um, just in terms of tone and whatnot, because there's a really good action sequence earlier, early on in the movie that occurs in a mall and um, Gal Gadot is like sweeping around and saving all these kids and whatnot and make and like, they fall into, like, teddy bears and stuff. It's really sweet. And then she gives, like, a wink to a little kid and all that. Like, that kind of stuff is kind of corny. Uh, but it really feels like it's something out of, like, a Richard Donner Superman movie where it's Christopher Reeve just just being, like, this really lovable Boy Scout and just, like, saving the world by just being really nice. <laughs> so I kind of like that element to this movie where it's... Like I said, no one's, di- no one's dying in this movie. It's kind of the opposite of would something you'd see in like a Marvel like endgame thing where it's just like things flying and exploding everywhere. Um, I guess I would push back a little bit, Kong, because I like I really like how this movie goes into the idea of 80's success, uh, which is through the Pedro Pascal character, who he's kind of like I don't know how you describe him. He's the pinstripe suit wearing douche lord yuppie <laughs> of the 80s kind of like all of them packed into one you got a little trump in there you got all the, like all these like televangelists all these other different things thrown into him um and he like there's like this wit like the big macguffin of the movie is this wishing stone which which sounds kind of dumb but i think works well in context because um Pedro pascal basically uses this stone to just grant people's wishes so kind of the idea of the 80s where if you if you can wish it, you can do it, or whatever. And I think that's kind of what he says, and um, the, throughout the movie. But I think, and it's kind of like that monkey, po- monkey paws thing, where they have like people wish for something, and then that comes true, but then something disastrous happens as a result. So it's kind of like even when you are when you get everything you ask for, them, it's like nothing goes well. And I think that really goes when you see when you see it on this scale and like things are like like cities are getting destroyed and things like that in that sense uh i think it really kind of does kind of just fight against the idea of 80s excess and more is more and more is grid and more is just the best thing you can ask for um which i still think permeates a lot of things we do and a lot of things we deal with today so i think in that sense i think this movie is really successful but um I definitely would say the first half is a lot better than the second half. Uh, that's, that's when it kind of the second half is when Kristen Wiig is kind of lame. To me. <laughs> and then you have more like general superhero stuff. But I, th- I thought the first hour was where the, where the best stuff was in this movie. Yeah, I think touching back on that mall scene, I think
0: that's the best, easily the best action piece in the movie. Um, like the best set piece and just the most fun when you're kind of re-meeting. Uh, wonder woman in the 80s and then yeah i think like also kristen wiggs' character is a lot stronger particularly in like the first i guess it's probably the second half hour of the movie um after all the introduction um but yeah it's just like it really lost me in that that third act and then um i did like some of the like the the moments where diana is just reacting to the world and exploring it i really enjoyed um, so I don't I don't want to spoil it, but there's a sequence right before you really get into the third act where she's discovering uh, new power. And I think it was just they let it linger. And I really think that moment works really, really well.
1: Yeah, there's I think this movie, it gets at the idea of kind of what what heroism means. And I think that's kind of an idea that's lost on a lot of the contemporary superhero movies, whether it's like a Marvel movie or people are just kind of like smashing into each other and it's kind of like action figure fight the movie where it's like, you think of like a kid just like smashing all of their figures together. And that's the ending of a lot of these movies. But I think in this one, it you deal with, and maybe it's not the like kind of what you were saying before Colin about it's not the most like incredible thing or new thing you've seen in a, in a superhero movie, but it gets at kind of the sacrifice of being a, of being a hero and and sacrificing for the greater good and, and kind of blends the idea of more and excess into that as well. Um, so in that sense, I think it's, this movie works really nicely. Um, but kind of what you were saying, I I think the best parts are sort of when Gal Gadot is reacting to stuff here too. Um, Cause I wouldn't say she's the best actress. I don't think any of us would say that, but she's really fun. Um, she is a really fun on-screen presence. She's really sweet. And um really earnest in the thing she does. Um so kind of when she's reacting to all this like beautiful stuff or when she's just playing off of Chris Pine, uh, is kind of what I love most about this movie. But other than Pedro Pascal, which is <laughs> he's probably my favorite part, but I think the most stuff that works is Gal Gadot, just being being sweet. Yeah, <laughs> there's some unintentionally ironic
0: just like sequences with gal gadot being a veteran of the israeli army and then like showing up with <laughs> like these egypt in the 1980s sequences uh i don't want to spoil it too much but there's like there's one line in particular that's like uh, i want you to kick all the enemies out and then like gal gadot shows up <laughs> um, so yeah there's just like there's moments like that that kind of made me cringe and i just feel like in the end diana's arc and Maxwell Lord which is Pedro Pascal's characters just are kind of disconnected at the end I think uh, Diana kind of hits her emotional climax and then it becomes Max's movie for the last you know however many minutes um, and so I, I kind of got lost in that part too because Wonder Woman's just a spectator and and Barbara's just kind of a spectator for most of the movie too and so I just have gripes like that but, but overall like it was a fun time so I, I definitely don't hate it um, I think this is like, it's, it's very average. I don't, I, I nothing this movie that's, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> How did you feel about the eighties nostalgia? The, was that overbearing to you at all? Yeah. I didn't feel like the eighties, like this story really needed to be told in the eighties. Um, and I think part of that is just the message is still pretty relevant. And I would argue relevant in a new context, um, even more so today. Um, so, it, you know, with the first one, it, it very much feels like, yes, you need to put this at this time period because World War One is the backdrop for the story we're trying to tell. Um, but I didn't feel like it necessarily needed to be 1984 other than for A, the nostalgia, which is really big, and then B, so you could, you know, draw parallels between this movie and
1: 1984. Yeah. The year in the, the book. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it does a decent job with that eighties. Cause it's like I said, it's the height of greed and just like nuts, like Wolf of Wall Street kind of stuff going on. So I think in a superhero movie, I think that's like when we talk about excess, I think the most caricature caricature, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it. The most caricature version of that kind of idea, I think is in the eighties. So I think that's when you can have Pedro Pascal, who's in like this floppy wig, a blonde wig and he's just like going nuts in his pinstripe suit. I think that works best considering, and also it's a superhero movie. So people are playing it up to 10. So I think that works pretty well there, but yeah, I'm kind of done with movies in the eighties. I feel like we've, I feel like we've done it. <laughs> I feel like we've kind of mined all we can and people wearing one um, uh, of those, like the pants that MC hammer wore. Okay. Parachute pants. I feel like we're kind of done with that. Right. I feel like that's, we've reached the breaking point. I can't wait until we have throwback movies in the
0: like two thousand five. <laughs> so everyone's li- everyone's listening
1: to Limp Biscuit.
2: <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah, one thing to note, though, obviously it had the hybrid release in the U.S. Uh, and and just worldwide even, well where it could, but HBO Max there in the U.S. and then also theaters. This thing made sixteen point seven million in in theaters this weekend which I was trying to just kind of crunch the numbers in my head. And that actually sounds good because you've got, I think nearly two thirds of theaters are closed, which means that you're down to tops 2000 theaters open. Um, Those theaters probably are not full. Majority of them are probably what half capacity. So you're you're probably like 75% of your seats are gone and you've made 16.7 in a pandemic. That's, uh, scary, but also uh, not the worst, in my opinion.
1: I'm fascinated to see what happens with the whole HBO Max thing. And there was that news that came out, I think this week this week or last week, where Legendary was kind of mad at Warner Brothers for putting, trying to put Dune on HBO Max, and that just probably won't happen at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm really fascinated to see how this shakes out, because I don't think there was any chance that this this was this movie was going to be a billion dollar um, gross in terms of either box office or what that translates to in new HBO Max subscribers or whatever. Um, so this was kind of a gamble, uh, but and they've been sitting on it for a really long time. And even before the movie was like ready to be released, it was even pushed back. So this thing has kind of been in the works for quite a bit. Um, so I don't know, I. I think we've talked about this before where I don't really know what kind of financial benefit this creates. Maybe H this, like the subscriber counts on HBO max boomed after this movie came out a few days ago. I don't really know, but I don't know. We'll, we'll, we will see. I think it'll be interesting to see if there's any news that drops this coming week about expanded plans that Warner brothers has for HBO max or something like that. And then we'll, I feel like that's the only way we can gauge how well this is doing. Cause we don't, we can't look at the numbers except for like subscriber counts.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of the big mystery with all of this is like the only people that really know how it's performing until they put um, information out is the company that's distributing it. So it's all shadowy.
1: Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. I, I don't know who knows at this point. It just it confuses <laughs> me so much just even thinking about it. Yeah, so uh,
0: let's go ahead and move on, and we will kind of round out this podcast talking about Soul. Um, So this is another movie that's bounced around a bit in the crazy year that is 2020. Um, So this is Pixar's second movie this year. Um, They had Onward earlier, (laughs) right around when things started getting shut down. Um, So we were talking about this before we got on. This was Onward was actually the last movie I saw before... The theater's closed, um, but Soul ended up not getting a theatrical release and just launched on Disney Plus without a paywall. So it's free for all Disney Plus subscribers, which is a little bit different from Mulan and a little bit different from some of their 2021 releases. Um, But I adored this movie. Um, Soul Soul is one of those movies where I finished it and I was like, I need to watch this again soon. Um, Like it's it's definitely swinging for the fences, uh, you know, from a, a studio that always swings for the fences. I think Soul is is reaching for an even further or higher fence, however you want to take that metaphor. Um, and I think it, it hits, um, I think it has a very relevant message. I think it gets a lot of its abstract concepts across um, very well, especially considering that, you know, children are going to be a lot of the audience for this movie. And I think it plays with the world it's created beautifully both the the new york it's created and the soul world i guess you can call it um that it's created and i just i
1: love this movie um it was fantastic yeah i'm right there with you i love this movie it's one of my favorites of the year uh as as well and um it kind of i'm at this point now where i don't really get excited for a pixar movie if it's a sequel of any kind like I, re- I really liked Toy Story 4, but I think all of us were just co- sort of like, eh, I don't really know, do we need another one of these? But but every time they come out with like, hey, we're coming out with this original idea, I, I get really, really excited. And um, I think <laughs> my interest was unbelievably piqued when I heard this movie was just basic- basically about exist- existence itself <laughs> and just who we are and what makes us us, um, which it... it Definitely operates similarly to uh, Inside Out. It's by the same director, uh, Pete Doctor. But, yeah, this movie is so, so terrific. And it reminds me a lot of the works of Don Hertzfeld, which I mentioned, and I think in a podcast earlier this year. Uh, But he directed all three of the World of Tomorrow shorts, which are probably three of the best movies of, I don't know, the last since 2000. I don't know. They are so, so good. But they operate on the same level where it's just kind of a poetic look at existence and living itself and those concepts, everything that goes into that. Um, But I think so. It's kind of amazing that Pixar can make like $150 million movie about that. Um, But yeah, uh, this is one of those where, of course, I cried at the end. It's just beautiful. Uh, it's It's just Pixar does it again. It's incredible. Yeah, and it's
0: it's hard to to really get into this movie without um, giving away a lot of spoilers. But yeah, I just adored it. Um, I, this is definitely going to crack my Pixar ranking, like the top of my Pixar rankings um, after I see it another time or two and really, really cement how I feel about it. But I was just floored
1: and expect to continue to be floored. And I want to... Point this out, too, but an unbelievable score from Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, who I actually just worked on the main score as well, which I thought was terrific. But I think this it's so, so good. And it feels like it's it's something out of a world tomorrow short as well. But it's just it's unlike it creates a feel that's kind of unlike any other Pixar movie where it's the same animation style, but it just feels like it's totally separate from. The level that those movies are working on, then that's not to say it's a million times better or anything like that, but it's it's just different. It just it kind of it amazes me that they got 150 million dollars to make an existential movie about like a poet poetic movie about existence and what like our purpose is. Like it's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's amazing what Pixar can do when they put their minds to it. Yeah, there's just there's just such rich
0: commentary on just like ambition and separating like your your talent from your purpose and like just defining yourself by what you do and i mean man like this movie is just packed even beyond um you know some of the the better pixar movies so inside out um is if you take nostalgia out of the factor uh, it's probably my favorite pixar movie and like it just goes so much further with a lot of its more existential concepts um, it just works just phenomenally
1: yeah it's it's kind of one of the more life affirming movies to come out recently it's just you watch this movie and you're just you're kind of just excited to live which might be one of the better compliments you can give a movie like it just makes you so maybe not feel amazing but it just makes you feel hopeful just about just everything and um, I can't I can't trust enough that people should watch the world of tomorrow shorts. Cause I think the third one, which came out this year might be my favorite movie of the year. Uh, we'll see when my top 10 comes out later in a, f- in a week or so, but both of these movies work on the same level where it's, it's taking a really interesting animated approach with this awesome animation and just kind of making you feel good about life in general, which is, it's kind of incredible what, what, what these things can do. It is, yeah. It's just sold, man.
0: Go see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is uh, that is this weekend. It was a, a pretty crazy weekend as far as the releases go, and yeah, it'll certainly slow down a little bit just as we get into January. Chaos Walking has been moved yet again. So oh my God. Uh, nothing nothing too crazy happening for a little while as we kind of wrap up the the Oscars season. So we'll see a little bit more of our prestige releases, uh, you could call them, um, in the next few weeks. But we will be dropping a special episode of the Movie Babble podcast, just breaking down the uh, unpredictable and, and not necessarily what we anticipated year for movies in 2020. Uh, so be on the lookout for that in your feed and remember as always you can check us out online at moviebevel.com